our reading today is perhaps in some ways the most worldly of all the passages that I've preached on in 2016. Yet at the same time, it is the one where we, humanity, first see Emmanuel, God with us. I say it's the most worldly because there is no direct mention of God. We have reference to an emperor and empire, to a governor and nation-state, to oppression and poverty, to family and to birth. But this passage which tells us of the Christ does not name him nor reveal in itself who the Bethlehem baby is. There's not even here a reference to the miracle that was his conception. The baby is simply the son of Mary and Joseph, a baby laid in a manger. Because the story is so familiar, we can fill in much of the rest. We tell the other stories. We sing the songs that speak of this being a holy infant. We remember the angel Gabriel talking to Mary. We remember the dream of Joseph. We think of the shepherds minding their flocks on the hillside by night, who are suddenly surrounded by a heavenly host singing praise to the Almighty One. But in our passage, what we see is simple human life. A baby born in challenging time when God's people were being repressed by the Roman authorities who had taken over the land that had been promised to the children of Israel. What we are being told of is that God comes into a place where God has been marginalized and pushed the edge. We see this most fully, perhaps, in the way that the king of kings is unable to be in the guest room or in the inn, but is simply laid in a feeding trough. The royal birth of David's line is not in a palace anteroom, where the mother is attended by ladies-in-waiting, by ministers of the crown, or another dignitary ready for the proclamation. This wasn't even as stable as we know stables today, but more likely a shed out the back where there might have been a cow or two, a small part of the building. 
There's no great choir of angels in that place. No heavenly light illuminating the child. And when an angel later tells the shepherds what to look for, the sign is not a spectacular one. It's the simplicity of that baby lying among the hay laid in the manger. The birth is not even taking place in the royal, holy, capital city of Jerusalem, the place that David sat on his throne. But the setting is Bethlehem, the village six miles away, where David had been the youngest son and was left out in the field tending flocks almost forgotten about when Samuel came to anoint one of Jesse's sons. We should not be surprised at this low setting. Jesus came into the world not because we are perfect, not because we are great, but he came because we are a fallen people. Jesus came not simply for those who are already knowing God, already loving Him and wishing to follow the Lord, but came that all people may have a chance of salvation. And so, we see Him in the squalor of the earth. He came that all might know that in him there is a chance of life, that there is forgiveness, there is hope. He came to a place where God's presence seemed absent, and although we might call it the Holy Land, in the first century it was far from a holy place. Indeed, we know it still is far from a place of holiness and peace. The Middle East is far from peaceful today. For months now, we have heard on the news of the turmoil in Syria, of government forces and opposition, of Russian warplanes and innocent civilians. We hear of buildings and lives in ruins of hopes of peace repeatedly shattered by shelling. The words used by journalists yesterday included desperation and confusion. And that's not the first day in Aleppo that those things have been common. There seems to be no end to an oppressive regime supported from afar. And so, to many, it might seem that even today, people have been forgotten by God. But they are loved by Him. It was for such times and for such places that Jesus came. 
in those days of the first century. The nation of Syria extended as far south as Judea. So, when the emperor in far-off Rome ordered a census, it's the call of Quirinius for his region to be counted that has to be obeyed. The decree was issued not because he was interested in statistics and things that could be written down in tables, but because he wanted money. He wanted tax out of those who could least afford it. And so, rather than simply tax people at their homes, he took the unusual step of saying that every family had to return to their hometown. It seems nonsensible, perhaps, to us. It would be far easier to tax people where they already were. But because of this, Joseph would have to bring his pregnant wife from Nazareth to the town of Bethlehem, which Micah had spoken of, small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel. That Quirinius is not a man of God does not prevent the Lord using him to further his purpose. Anyone can be directed by God or anyone's plans can be used by God such that God's glory is revealed in a new way. We who are followers need to be open to the fact that God might use us directly, guiding us clearly by His Holy Spirit. But others do it unknowingly, and perhaps we sometimes do it unknowingly too. We need to seek out the Kairos moments, the times that God's purpose is at hand, and interpret what is happening. What does this part of the plan mean? Why is God doing this? And what does it mean for the life of the church and the growth of his kingdom? I remember a few years ago uh, where I was a meeting, at a meeting where there was a, a Churches Together County Ecumenical Officer that was challenging a group of us that were church leaders um, to think about those who were from Eastern Europe who were increasing in number in the community that we lived. And her words to us were not to think specifically of why those people had come to Northamptonshire and Peterborough, where we lived, but why God had led them there. And as we reflected on it and spent some time, we realized that a number of churches 
mainly Roman Catholic, but also Protestant, had suddenly seen rapid growth. Some churches that were on the verge of closure suddenly were having to do three services on a Sunday to cater for the number that had come from the East. In one of my churches, which was quite small, suddenly there were three young men in their 20s joining their fellowship every Sunday morning. And in another of the churches, a family that became well integrated and part of the church. God does not always do things in the way we expect. He does not always do it with ceremony and pomp and circumstance. It's not always quick. There's sometimes a slow build, and it may involve people we least expect. Sometimes, however, there has been a gestation period that we have not been witness to. And it seems that out of that, the birth of new worship, new mission, a new outreach opportunity suddenly springs upon us when actually there's been something there all the time. We just haven't seen it. God surprised the shepherds in the field. He surprised the Magi with a star. He surprised Herod with some news that would make him fearful. But for Mary, it had been nine months since Gabriel informed her that she would bear God's son. This Christmas, Remember that despite the humble surroundings, this is the coming of the Son of God into the world. This is the coming of the Redeemer. The birth in Bethlehem was part of God's great plan, spoken of by the prophets, a plan that would bring hope for humanity. May we be open for how he may call us to act, for how he may call us today to proclaim his great love and to see the growth of his kingdom. Amen.